Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you have joined us today, whether here in person or online. We are so glad to have the chance to worship together and to lift up the name of Jesus. I hope you are paying attention uh, as we sing. You know, when we when we pick the songs, um, there's there's purpose behind it. And the, the song this morning that we did, the, the new one is aptly titled Rattle, and it is it is based off of the passage that we're going to look at. And, and I love how the, the song focuses and starts by focusing on, on the resurrection of Christ and then works backwards from there. But what a, what a great hope that we have. If we have a God that is raised from the gra- grave, then we too can have and share in that hope that we, we too can be, be risen up from the grave. That hope is a sure and certain hope. And may that, may that dwell in us this morning as we look at the truth of God's word. We do have a few prayer requests this morning as we get started. Um, first, uh, I got a text the other day from Drew Hunt asking that we be in prayer for um, his girlfriend's father, Paul Arnold. He is dealing with some complications from COVID, and so keep Paul Arnold in your prayers. Uh, also be praying for Glenn Brock, uh, this is the, the son of Doris Cooksey. He's been recovering from surgery uh, for cancer in his jaw, and it was quite extensive surgery, and, and he's been struggling with that a little bit. The, the recovery is going well, but uh, just the, the reality of the recovery has been difficult and heavy for him. And so I met with him last week, and, and he was asking for prayer. So be praying for Glenn. Um, Bev Wagner uh, was dealing with some, some heart issues last week and, and is able to get those fixed with medication, but be praying for Bev. And, of course, be playing, praying for Clay and the swim team as uh, they head on to state this week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we turn our attention to the Word of God this morning. Father God, we do thank you for the truth of your word and the hope that it provides for us in our lives wherever we find ourselves, God. We do believe that you are the sovereign God of the universe, Lord, that you are our creator, you are our maker. Lord, as such, we trust you with our very lives. God, we do come to you knowing that as God and creator, that you are an active participant in our lives, Lord, not a passive observer from afar, but Lord, that you are here and near to us in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our hurts and our heartaches, in the midst of our successes. And God, we thank you for the power of your presence in our lives and in through everything we face. God, we do pray for those that continue to struggle with the coronavirus. Lord, we think this morning of Paul Arnold as, as he deals with the complications that have arisen in his life. Lord, we pray that you would touch him, that you would bring about healing in his body, and Lord, that you'd bring about wholeness in him. Lord, be with those that continue to suffer from this virus. Lord, we pray that you would continue to, to, to cause it to clear up, Lord, and that you would begin to reopen um, society for us and, and move us back in, in a productive direction. Lord, we, we hold that up to you today. Lord, we pray for Glenn as he continues to recover from his surgery. Lord, we pray that you would encourage his heart as, as he deals with the, the new normal that he's got right now, and as he looks forward to some, some more treat, treatments that are in front of him. God, we just pray that you would encourage his heart and that you would walk him through the days ahead. Lord, we thank you for the good report on Bev Wagner uh, with her heart, Lord, and we pray that you would continue to strengthen her. We pray that these medications would continue to do what they're supposed to and, and that she would move forward without any more complications. Lord, we thank you for the, the recent swim meet and, and for, for the good results of Clay and his team, Lord, we thank you for the hard work that they've put into that and for the reward that's come about as a result of it. Lord, be with them as they continue to race into this weekend. We just pray that you would work and move in and through them, Lord, and that you would be honored and glorified through their efforts. 
God, speak to us now as we turn our attention to your word. God, we pray that you would encourage our hearts where we, where we are today and in the way that we need you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Several years ago, I had the chance to go uh, visit the Badlands with uh, a Boy Scout troop out of Northwebster, Indiana. I was the charter organization rep, which meant that I just kind of went on the trip and hung out and ha- wore a badge that said the church cared what was going on, which was cool. We did care, but I didn't have any responsibility, which was awesome. And, and so we, we drove out west and, and headed, and, and I remember thinking about the Badlands. I knew based on the name that it surely was not going to be uh, the, the goodest of place, I guess. You know, bad is in the name. And so we, we actually drove through it first, right? We drove through the Badlands and, and went to the... Um, the, the forest that's there beyond it. And so we, we'd been in this place of life, and, and there were just all kinds of animals that, that were all around us in, in the Black Hills, and, and there were trees everywhere, and there were little lakes, and it was just this beautiful, vivid place. And we went and we camped there for literally one day and packed up everything and went back to the Badlands. Now, when we drove through the Badlands, it was cool because we were on the highway, and we just drove on through, and it's like, man, that's pretty over there. Wonderful. That could have been the end of that portion of the trip for me, and I would have been fine. Now, some of you may have never been to the Badlands, or maybe you have, and you're like, oh, I love the Badlands. I did not. The the place lived up to its name. It was dead and dry. Literally everything that we saw crawling around on the ground there or moving around in the Badlands wanted to eat us or kill us. Nothing was friendly. And I remember one of the reasons that we'd gone there was because of this... uh, archaeological site that was over around the corner. And, and so we went to check it out, and there, there in the ground, uh, on the ground all across this, this area were different dinosaur bones. The dinosaur bones just all over the place, and you could see them, and it was cool. But I remember thinking to myself, if the dinosaurs could not survive here, why are we here? What in the world? This is, this is, it's a place called the Badlands. Who decides, I'm going to go set up a tent in the middle of this sand and wind, God-forsaken valley, covered with bones. I mean, I remember as we walked around, we, not, we didn't just see the bones of the dinosaurs pretty much anywhere we went. We maybe saw a snake or two, a rattlesnake or two, a, a, a coyote I think we saw. But most of what the rest of what we saw was the remnants of what happens when the rattle, rattlesnakes and coyotes have gotten to the thing. Everything was dead. It, it was dry. It was desolate. It was a dead place. And, and I remember thinking to myself, this is life sometimes. I mean, even now, I think back to that, and I think that sometimes that is what life is. We like the times like, like when we were in the Black Hills, where the trees are pretty, the view is wonderful, and life abounds everywhere we look. We like those times. But there are times where we descend into the valley, where life feels dry, where life feels desolate, and we begin feeling much like the dry bones that we saw in the ground while we were there. I think that's where where Ezekiel and the people of Israel find that, that is where Ezekiel and the people of Israel find themselves in our passage for this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel chapter 37 and starting in verse 1. Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. And it says this, The hand of the Lord was on me, 
And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. And it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back from the land to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. What an amazing passage. That's been rattling in my, no pun intended, but that passage has been rattling around in my head for for weeks now. For weeks now. This idea of the dry bones, the the bones that are are just worn out, the, the, the lifeless, desolate places in life. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I look around and I see, I, I see where, where people are coming from and things that people are posting online. I hear in conversations, and I feel in my own life right now that people are looking for hope now more than ever. And as I look at this passage, as we consider this passage that starts off by talking about this dry, this dead, this desolate place, the thing that pops out at me through all of these ver- verses is this, there is always hope. There is always hope. There is always hope. There are, however, as I mentioned, places and times when and where hope is hard, if not impossible, to find. In verses 1 through 2, he he lays it out. That the hand of the Lord takes him to this place and sets him in the middle of this this valley that's, that's full of bones. And led him back and forth, and he saw bones just everywhere, carpeting the valley of, uh, 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 that he's in. It's dry and dead bones. If this isn't the literal manifestation of the valley of the shadow of death, I don't know what is. And notice how he got there. 
Notice how Ezekiel didn't just walk himself and happen upon, upon this, this valley of dry bones. Ezekiel didn't take a wrong turn as he was making his way out of Israel, as he was walking or going somewhere. This isn't a mistake. The, the, the passage tells us that he's in this valley filled with dry bones, surrounded by death and decay, because God's spirit led him there. God took him to this place of desolation. It's a dire situation in the best of times. But it, but it also is in response to the question that kind of runs as a theme throughout the book of Ezekiel. And we find the question just a page or two over in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 10. And God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. So God is, God is repeating back to Ezekiel what the Israelites themselves are saying about their situation, about their reality, about their lot in life at this point in time. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and sins weigh us down and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? The, the question that the people of Israel are asking is, is this it? Is this the end? It, it, and further, is it our fault? Like, is what we're facing right now, is the reality of the desolation and destruction, is the reality of our exile that we're facing right now, is it our fault? Did, did we do this? And, and the, great, the, the fact of the matter is, in, the, in this context, the answer is yes. It's not good news. For the people of Israel, they are in fact in exile because of their own choices, because of their own actions, because of their failure to be faithful to their God, for, because of their, their wandering away. But the real question underneath the question is, is not really looking back to the why of where they're at. Really, that, that's kind of secondary, to be completely honest. What they really want to know is this. Are we too far gone? Are we past the point of salvation? Is this situation unredeemable? Is there any way back from this place? You know, again, so we, we have this question. Are we too far gone? Is it too much? Are we past the point of salvation? And in response to that, God takes Ezekiel out to this valley filled with dried out dead bones and based on what Ezekiel is seeing in his vision it's not looking really good is it uh, based on what Ezekiel is seeing the battle is, it has in fact been over for a long time the battle has been lost for a long time so long in fact that, that there are no bodies left there are just dried out bones that are laying on the floor of this valley Further, the defeat that they had experienced was so complete, so devastatingly absolute, that none remained to properly deal with the bodies. Everybody had died. That's why the bones still remain there, is there's nobody left to go and bury and care for the dead. It, it was total devastation, a total loss. Again, if this field were the answer to the question, it would appear as if they had, in fact, passed the point of no return. 
all is lost. We've all visited this zip code, haven't we? We've all been to one extent or another in this place where we look around at the reality of life around us, and we may, not, we may not have experienced what the Israelites are experiencing. We may not be in exile the same way that they're in exile, but we feel, do we not, at times, like we've been exiled. Like, like we're lost and out in a place where we don't belong, and we struggle to find out where exactly we fit into the, the midst of this. And further, not just where we fit, but how to get wherever it is we're going. I would argue further that we've, we've had times where we've felt not, not just that, that we've, we've been exiled, but we feel the, the dryness in our spirit. We feel, we feel the, the emptiness, the hopelessness that comes at various points in life. We've all faced these seasons. And I feel like we've been in one of these valleys for a hot minute, have we not? And I know that I, I touched on this a few weeks ago with, with, with uh, Elijah, but this is still kind of where I feel like I am at points. Where, where, where it just feels dry and it feels uncertain and it feels like everything that around, is around us is bad news and it's hard to see a path forward. It's hard to know what to do next. It's hard to, and, and we find ourselves asking the question, is this it? Is this, is this just reality now? Is this how, what we're going to have to deal with? Is this, is this how life is going to be? We feel dry. We have moments where hope is nearly impossible to find. Sometimes it's the result of our own foolish choices. We make our own mess, but we can't get ourselves out of it. At other times, the currents of culture seem to be sweeping us away. And as much as we try to fight against it, we can't seem to gain any ground. And sometimes it's just the hard, cold realities of life. The truth is, we all ride the struggle bus every now and again. And sometimes we have a hard time getting off. And in those moments, we begin to wonder, is this situation... Is my community, am I myself, in too deep? Is this season beyond saving? God himself doesn't wait for Ezekiel to ask the question, does he? It's, it's kind of humorous if you think about it, that God takes Ezekiel out to a place surrounded by absolute utter despair and desolation, a place filled with dried out dead bones, that there is no way that Ezekiel himself can do anything to, to, to fix the situation. And he walks Ezekiel around in it for a while to make sure that Ezekiel is good and aware of just how hopeless the situation is. And then God, in a way that only God can do, and in a way that God often does in the scripture, looks at Ezekiel and says, so, son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? It's, it's kind of humorous. I mean, the obvious answer to the question is what? No. No, God, they cannot live. Can these bones live? And, 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 and couched within the question itself is the answer that is obvious to Ezekiel. Son of man. Can these bones live? Hey, Ezekiel, 
Ezekiel, you see all this death and destruction? Is there anything that you can do about this? Ezekiel's answer, though, is, is very clever, very appropriate as well. Ezekiel looks around and he says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Is that not the most theologically, culturally, politically correct way of saying, I have no idea. God only knows. That's, that's kind of what I read. God asks him, hey, can these bones live? And, and Ezekiel goes, God only knows. That's you, man. I have no idea. Whatever the case may be, Ezekiel knows that he can't do it himself. He doesn't know. But the answer, again, that he gives, gives the, the, the source of where the answer lies. He says, Sovereign Lord. To be sovereign means to hold supreme or ultimate power. It is to be the definitive authority. In the context of a government, uh, being sovereign means that we, they have the right and the authority to rule and reign, to make decisions for a certain people group. In the context of God, his sovereignty is over all of creation. It means that God, at any point, can do whatever God wants to do, wherever God wants to do it. That, that there is nothing, as we sang in the song, that there is nothing that is impossible for God. Ezekiel knows, I can't do anything about this. But you can. Only you know if these bones can have life again. He, ref he defers, Ezekiel defers to God's divine power and prerogative. God alone knows because God alone wields that kind of power. We all, we, we will struggle to find satisfactory answers in times that cause these kinds of life questions. In times that cause us to question all that we thought we knew. Times that cause, cause us to, to lose grasp on, on reality and, and lose a sense of, of normal. Lose the sense of, of certainty and understanding that goes along with everyday life. And in those moments, our only recourse, our only hope, if you will, is to turn to someone greater than ourselves. It's either that, either we turn to someone who does know and can do something, or we give up. Those are the only options. Ezekiel can either say, God, no, these bones can't live. Story's over. Or he says, God, I leave this to you. The valley of despair forces Ezekiel to turn the question back to God himself. Only God can bring hope in such hopeless surroundings. But that's, that's the catch of this. This is where the, the, the hope of this passage lies, is that so long as we hold to our faith in the God of the universe, there is always hope. So long as we continue to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who walked through the valley, the one who faced death on the cross, the one who went into the grave and, and was raised from the grave as a first fruit of sorts, of eternal life. 
It's only by focusing on him and realizing that, yes, this may be impossible, not just improbable, but completely impossible within my power as the son or daughter of man. But as a son or daughter of God, it is perfectly within the realm of what God can do. That there is no situation, there is no valley, there is no struggle that we face that is too big for God. That there's no, there, there's no length of dryness, no depth of despair that we can face where God will leave us unattended. There is always hope. There is always hope. If you hear nothing else that I say this morning, please hear that. There is always hope. There is hope today. There is hope now in the midst of the struggle that we're facing. There's hope in the midst of COVID. There's hope in the midst of political turmoil. There's hope in the midst of of racial divisions. There's hope in the midst of misunderstandings. There's there's hope in the midst of, of, of economic realities. There is hope because we serve the God of hope, the God that is bigger than all circumstances and situations that we may face. There is hope because God is big enough. So what does God do in the midst of this? Can can these bones live? God, you alone know. And God turns and says to him, prophesy to these bones. And and we see that that Ezekiel does as God says. He, He speaks the word of the Lord to the bones. And we see restoration coming about. We need to remember that God's word has the power to restore. God's word has the power to restore and to refresh us. What's great about this is God not only reveals what he can do to Ezekiel, he invites Ezekiel to join him in doing it. He doesn't just restore the bones, he restores Ezekiel's purpose. And he validates Ezekiel's faith. Ezekiel, according to verse 4, will serve as God's mouthpiece to prophesy to the lifeless skeletons before him. Now, prophecy is is a a much misunderstood and maligned word in the modern era, particularly in conservative evangelical churches like our own. We struggle with this. And and I argue, I would like to argue that the reason that we struggle with prophecy is because we don't really understand what it means. We we take prophecy at its root to mean the, the foretelling of the future, that this is what is going to happen in this many years in this way. But you realize, do you realize that if you look throughout the Bible and you realize, look, look at how the prophecy of the Old Testament and even the New Testament plays out, most of time, the time, prophecy isn't necessarily a foretelling. More often than not, what prophecy truly is, is speaking the word of the Lord, saying, this is what God says. This is what God expects. This is what God wants you to do. Prophecy is simply put saying, thus says the Lord. And that's all Ezekiel is expected to do here. Prophesy to these bones and say to them this. And God puts in Ezekiel's mouth the words that he is then to say to the bones. Notice that Ezekiel has no real idea, that there's no indication that Ezekiel knows what's about to happen to these bones. Well, the only thing that we've seen from Ezekiel is that he has no idea what can happen with these bones. And God says to him, you you speak to these bones. You tell them what I'm about to tell you, and you see what's going to happen. 
prophecy, the prophet, and the office of prophet was more about declaring the word of God in the world than foretelling the future. It, It was about telling them what God wanted for them as they walked into the future more than telling them what would happen in the future. Ezekiel's job is simply to say what God says. This sounds an awful lot like what what we're called to do as the people of God today, as Christians, to, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news, the word of hope to all nations, teaching them to obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and understanding, oh, that I'm with you to the very end of the age. There's a very real sense that where we find ourselves in the modern world, in the New Testament era, is very much the same as where Ezekiel found himself as he stood in the Valley of Dry Bones. And God lays out to Ezekiel three things that he's going to do. Three things in verses 5 through 6. He says, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. So God, one, is going to bring the bodies back together. He's going to take what has fallen apart and, and put it back together. And two... And God really wants to make sure that Ezekiel understands that this is what's going to happen. That God is going to restore the breath of life to these bones. Did you notice that God says it twice? That it kind of sandwiches it. God leads with this. I'm going to make breath come into you. And I'm going to make you come back together. And oh, in case you missed it in the first place, the first time I said it, I'm going to make breath come into you. He'll restore the breath. We're going to talk about what that means in a second. And finally, God will remind them, Ezekiel included, who he is and what he can do. He himself will provide the answer to the question, can these bones live? Are we too far gone? The two questions, can these bones live? Are we too far gone? We see that Ezekiel speaks these words to the bones I prophesied as I was commanded, and and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone on bone, and, and I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. As if the valley cannot get any worse, right? I don't know about you, but this is not a vast improvement, Sure, it was bones, but I know what to expect with that. Can you imagine the reality of this that you say? Like, we, we, we think this all the time. Think about this. That the times that we speak God's word into the world and we're like, well, I've done my part, and we move on with our life. Can you imagine what it would be like if we actually believed that what we said of God's word was actually going to happen? And it does. I wonder if Ezekiel really thought that this is going to play out. Remember, God, you alone know. And he prophesies and says to the bones, hey, this is what God says, come together. And he hears this rattling at this time. If it wasn't time to leave the valley before, it is now. And it tells us that, that the bones come together and he watches this happen. Bone coming upon bone and tendons and flesh coming. And now rather than dead bones, he's got dead bodies. This is not an improvement. 
But at the same time, he's looking and saying, okay, there's something here. <laughs> there's something here. This rattling sound that I'm hearing, this movement in, in these bodies, yes, they're dead, but if God can restore what was broken, what can he do with that which is before me? God restores what is broken for him. He, he, he replaces what was missing within the bodies of the, the dry bones. He, he quite literally stitches them back together. It, it makes me think of, of Psalm 139. When it talks about how God knit us together in our mother's womb. That he created us with a plan and with a purpose. And, and I, and I got to think that if, if God created us in the first place, he can fix us. If God, if, if God can create us from the dust of the earth, then he certainly can work with dry bones. If God can do this, what? What can't he do? It's like Humpty Dumpty, right? We all know the story. Old boy sits on a wall. He takes a monumental fall. And all the soldiers in the kingdom can't repair him once he's broken. There are some levels of brokenness that we ourselves can't fix. In those times, we need the creator's touch. But you know, in those times, I find that we often think that God is absent. We fail to look for God in those moments because we assume that because things are so bad, he just must not be there. Scripture tells us, though, that God is near unto the brokenhearted. That perhaps it's when we're at our driest, when we're at our lowest, when we're at our most worn out, that God is most present. Are we alert and attentive to that reality? God's word has the power to put us back together and make us whole. But God's word also has the power to restore our spirit. Verses 9 through 10, Ezekiel calls to the spirit, to the breath, and the breath enters the body. This breath is called the ruach. Everyone say that word. Ruach. That's great. I like it. That's exactly right. Ruach. It's the, the, the glottal Hebrew. Ruach. The, the word that's used here, it's used seven times in this passage. Do you think it's maybe important that this concept maybe might be central to what God is saying and demonstrating in the midst of this? The word ruach mean, means spirit. It, it refers to the, the essence of life. It's the same word that's used in the creation narrative when it talks about God fashioning man out of the dust of the ground, but there was no breath in him. So God breathed the breath of life. That, that word breath is not just some empty wind. It is the very divine spirit of God breathing life into the body. And, and notice where this spirit is going to come from. Notice where this, this breath is going to come from. It's going to come from the four winds, from, from all over the globe. Now this is something that we may very well overlook as we look at it. But when we look at the Old Testament and it talks about the four corners of the earth, God is making an inclusive statement. Yes, this is happening right now in this time and in this place to these bones. But it is an indication that it is meant for the entirety of the world. That while God is bringing the breath to this place in, in this time for these people, that God has made this breath and this life available for all people, would eventually restore all who would call on his name. 
when we fall apart and are left with nothing but dry bones, what we need most is not just to get it all together, but for our spirits to be restored. For the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to reanimate us, to breathe new life back, in, back into our empty existence. We need to be reminded of the joy of our salvation in the power and purpose of being the people of God. This whole scene presents a large-scale version again of the original creation in Genesis 2. Without the divine spark within us, we're just dead bodies walking. We're all dead in our transgressions and sins, as Paul notes. We are all in different ways and at different times in need of a fresh breath of God's Spirit to breathe new life into our weary souls. And maybe you're there today. Full disclosure, this sermon is not for you. You get to listen to it. But this sermon is for me. If you noticed in the song we sang this morning, we got to the bridge and I stopped singing. The reason I didn't sing the bridge is because I can't sing it without crying. I feel this passage. Am I alone? Is this just me? I know it's quiet, possibly because this is a, a somber moment, but, but am I alone or are there more of us that feel the dryness right now? That, that feel the struggle of the uncertainty? That have wondered, is this it? Is this what life is going to be now? I know I've asked it myself. And God continues to bring passages to my life like this one, like the one with Eli Elijah, where God is saying, I think very clearly, this is not the end. There is life to be lived ahead. And though the situation may feel inescapable and inconquerable, I am the God of the impossible. And this is what's great about this passage. It starts with a valley full of dry bones, and God turns it on its head and raises up an army of living, an army of his people. And then God turns it around as if it wasn't enough for Elijah or for Ezekiel to watch this miraculous thing, have this miraculous vision. God says, hey, this vision that you've just seen, I'm going to do that with my people. I'm going to open their graves, and they're coming out. And this is why there is hope today. We serve the God of empty graves. We serve the God of empty graves. So it doesn't matter what sickness or struggle seems to be overcoming us at the moment. If death itself cannot hold us down, then what can? If God can restore a fully dead, dried out skeleton, then what can he do in our spirits? The truth is that God is still always on the lookout to raise up an army to represent him in this world. Notice that restoration and remembrance go hand in hand. That part of the purpose of the Lord doing what he's doing and raising up these dry bones and, and breathing life back into them is that they will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it. Remember Ezekiel's answer at the beginning? God says, hey, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's answer is, I don't know. 
God says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put my word in you, and you're going to speak my word. You're going to remember my truth. You're going to declare that truth out over these bones. And what's going to happen is I'm going to do something amazing, and you're going to remember. Now you're going to know. You know, per- perhaps part of what we need to do is stop being so focused on the struggle of the moment. I'm not saying we avoid the fact that it is what it is. It is. This is life right now. But, but in the midst of remembering our situation, we need to remember the God that we serve. That salvation is in his great name. That hope comes from his hands. In the moment, in, in this passage, the prophecy is initially meant for the people of Israel. That God is restoring his broken and wayward people. It says as much in verses 11 through 14, that the bones are his people Israel. These words were meant for a people in exile, a people who felt far from their God and as if their God had abandoned them. But God says, I'm going to bring you back. This isn't, this valley is not where you're going to stay. I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to bring you back to your land. I have the land of promise still laid out for you. There is still promise ahead. And brothers and sisters, I believe that to be true for us today, that there is still promise, that the word of God is still good, that we can still believe it, that, that God still has a plan and a purpose for us, and that there is a future before us. This truth brings me hope today. The church has always been a faith-based organism. But it seems to me that more than ever, we are forced to live on hopes and prayers these days. And it's good to know that God can breathe life back into the dried, tired bones of his body, the church. The prophecy, though, has greater implications that are only truly fulfilled in Jesus This prophecy presents a pattern that God would replicate time without number through the great salvation that Christ would bring about through his death, burial, and resurrection. We know that through Jesus Christ, this prophecy isn't just a metaphorical device. It's not just an illustration or an illusion, but a sure and certain reality to come for those who believe. That whether it be the the situation and the struggle of the moment that has dried us out, that there is hope that God can breathe new life into our spirits, into the bodies that are walking around right now. Or if life itself ends, that that is not the end, that God will in fact breathe new life into dried bones. And what was once figurative will in fact become reality. That death has been defeated. That through the cruel death of the word made flesh... We are provided with hope for our own restoration. If God can literally raise us from the dead, stitch our bodies back together, and restore breath to our empty lungs, is he not equally capable of restoring the brokenness of the here and now? Is he not equally capable of restoring a world-weary spirit? I feel the words of the people that speak to the Lord at the end. Where they say, our bodies are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. The question, are are we too far gone? And the answer from our God and his prophecy is this, no. No, there is hope. There is new life. 
there is a future before you. I told you at the beginning that prophecy is simply declaring the word of the Lord. So allow me to prophesy to you this morning for a moment. This is what the sovereign Lord says to you. These dry bones. I will make breath to enter you. And you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. May we this morning remember that we serve the sovereign God of the universe, the God of empty graves. And though we may face struggles that that overcome and overwhelm us, though we may feel dried out and dead inside, there is new life through the power and presence of the Spirit of God. May we hear his word and live today, understanding that he has a plan and a purpose for us. And may we not stop by just hearing the words ourselves, but may we prophesy to a world in need around us that there is hope, there is a future, because there is healing in the work and person of Jesus Christ. Father God, I thank you so much for the truth of your word today. I thank you for the hope of your power and presence in and through each of us. God, I pray that we would hold tightly to that hope today. May we look to you with expectation and understanding that you will move in ways that are beyond our understanding. And that while we may not know where restoration will come from within our own selves, that God, you yourself are the source. And new life will come through your power and presence. God, may we lean into that truth this morning. May we find hope. May we walk out of this place today with restored spirits. Through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit in and with us. In Jesus' name.